Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we are going to talk to Kelly Moore, CGOB Sports Director, with the Jets Pro Mini Camp and Training Camp coming up, and how you could go take a look, sort of, from a distance. And we'll also talk to Dave Campbell of 630 Chet about the Edmonton Elks, who will be the Bombers' opponent this weekend, as well as two more times in Winnipeg's next three games. After that, it's going to be a busy time between those two sides. So we'll talk about it on the podcast. Hockey will soon be making its return to the Boston Pizza Sports Desk. The Winnipeg Jets opening their pro mini camp later this week, full training camp next week. And joining me to talk about this is Kelly Moore, our sports director and the host of Jets coverage here on CGOB. Kelly, how good is it that we're almost back to hockey season? Well, I'll tell you, when uh, the leaves start falling in the backyard, you know that it can't be that far away. Although last year, that was certainly not the case. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's exciting, especially with the kind of a team that the Winnipeg Jets have put together. And uh, it was kind of uh, interesting as well today, Christian. Uh, we had uh, a little bit of a, an information session with the communications department and uh Basically, because many of us in the media have been asked by Jets fans, what's up with training camp? You know, can fans go and watch? Are they going to be open to the public? Because for all of last year, of course, everything was closed to the public. So when the pro mini camp with the 21 players, many of them Jets prospects and a few uh, players uh, that are free agents uh, looking to, to find a landing spot for 2021-22, when they start skating Thursday morning at 9 o'clock at Bell MTS Iceplex, fan, th- th- those on-ice sessions are open to the public, Christian, but I say that with an asterisk because while they are open, just a very, very limited number of fans will actually be able to see what is going on. And and how I would explain that is if, and many of our listeners will be familiar with the layout of Bell MTS Iceplex. And so one of the, uh, one of the rinks that will be used uh, by this group at the Pro Mini Camp will be the Assiniboine Credit Union rink. But because of NHL COVID-19 protocols, the general public will not be allowed inside the, the, the rink, the ice, where the ice surface is. They can watch from the outside, but they will have to watch socially distanced. And so the information we were given, and I, and I verified this, uh, the information we were given, Christian, is that about 16 people, there'll be a space for about 16 people to be able to be socially distanced and be able to watch the workout okay. in the lobby area. Now, also how this is going to work, and, and again, it, a lot of it has to do with, with COVID protocols and, and uh, the, the need for the players to be safe as well. There will be three rinks used simultaneously. So while the on-ice session starts at 9 o'clock, not all the players are going to be on the ice at the Assiniboine Credit Union. So I don't know how it's going to all shake up, but the, let's just say the forwards will be on the ACU rink. The goaltenders will be on another rink, one of the back rinks, and then the defense will be on another rink. So they're going to be split up into three positional groups. And for those two back rinks, 
there'll probably be room for about four people to be able to see through okay. the glass socially distanced. I, I just want to make sure that I get all the details out you there got, so there are no surprises. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. so the question would be then, is this a kind of a first-come, first-served situation here, and they'll say people, sorry, sorry you can't come in now? Uh, well, I don't know that – it's not that people can't come in. Like, the facility itself is not closed, Christian, because right, other programs course. are going on at the same time. So it's not like they can lock the doors. But do you want to stand in that lobby area and not be able to really see anything? Fair question. And that's yeah. so, something so that the, will so, examine. Yeah. yeah, so so probably the message will be, well, you know what, there are people that have made their way ahead of you that are standing, you know, in, in safely uh, in that uh, in that area, uh, right up uh, front uh, by the glass. You're more than welcome to stand in behind them, socially distanced, and and see what you can see. But it's not going to be the parade that we normally see of no. fans and their families to come check out the action, and that's expected because it, you know, it's still a pandemic. So. It yeah, is nice exactly. That we yeah. still have fans in the building when the season starts, though. Right. Yeah, and and just to provide proper context, uh, th- there has to be about twelve feet, I believe it is, uh, between the players and the general public, as per the NHL COVID protocols. And I guess they they've measured it, and it's about twelve feet from the last row of seats to the ice. So, it it basically anybody sitting in those would be within that perimeter so that's why the general public will not be allowed into the seated area or inside the rink area if you will and uh, accredited members of the media will be allowed to watch the practice inside the rink area from a you know from a designated spot so uh, if you do show up and you do see uh, some people inside the arena they will be accredited members of the media and please don't go after the big old uh fat guy because that might be me okay well I won't, i'm not going to be there because i don't have a car and it's a bit of a trek for me it's a bigger yeah. trek for you. you you're like the opposite end of the city but yeah but i have a car so it's oh, yeah, you know, you know so... what that does help yeah, it makes a big difference. Yeah, yeah. So the 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 pro mini camp then. This is as you mentioned. It's mostly uh, the younger players to kind of give them a head start on the proceedings. Players are already skating now, which is kind of a formal the formalization yeah. of the the plans, right? Yeah. This this is more you know under team supervision uh, and that sort of thing. So just to kind of give you a little bit of an idea, you know, for this pro mini camp, uh, there are going to be two goaltenders eight defensemen, and 11 forwards. And some of the more familiar names among the uh, defensemen, Arvid Holm, who uh, is a former draft pick of the Jets, he's been playing professionally over in Sweden. He's he's a big guy. Uh, I think he's about 6'4", 210, if memory serves correct. Uh, you know, I, it'll be interesting to see, uh, Christian, if he decides to to play pro in North America. I know he's signed with the Jets, so I'm, I'm guessing... Uh, that it would be to share the net mining duties on the moose uh, with Mikhail Burden. Uh, on defense, Billy Hainola, uh, certainly uh, Jonathan Kovacevic, who had a great season last year, was named uh, the top defenseman for the moose. Leon gavonki has been with the franchise for a while. Dylan Samberg, uh, Dimitri Kuzman, the team's third-round draft pick. Uh, Tyrell Bauer, who was taken 
uh, late in the draft. Uh, I believe it was the year before. Uh, Declan Chisholm, who's got a, a year of pro hockey under his belt. Simon Lundmark, another former uh, draft pick. And then uh, on the uh, forward ranks, David Gustafson, uh, certainly uh, coming off an MVP season with the most Cole Perfetti. A lot of people would love to come out and watch him skate in the workouts. And, and like I say, it's not like no one will be able to see these, but these sessions, but you know, it, it, it's going she to be doesn't. extremely, yeah, it's going to be extremely limited viewing or thereabouts. You know, th- those were kind of the numbers that were passed along to us. Now, who knows? Maybe, maybe five can stand there. You know, I, I'm not sure, but you know, Christian Besselinen is going to be in that group as well. So, you know, there'll be there'll be some familiar names, but uh, uh, that that's the the kind of a, a group that that pro mini camp is. And then, of course, some of those players will move on to the start of the main camp uh, a week from Thursday uh, with the first uh, uh, on-ice sessions. I believe it's at 11 a.m. at uh, Bell MTS Iceplex. That'll that'll be the big camp where there are 45 players going to be in attendance. Yeah, the majority of them listed on the training camp roster as well. I'm, I'm curious, Kelly, about Evgeny Sveshnikov, who was signed to a pro tryout recently. He's been uh, also signed by the Moose, so it's an, uh, an interesting thing for him. A, a player who was a first-round pick with Detroit, it's kind of, not been able to find it in the NHL, albeit on a pretty crummy team. What are you looking maybe to see out of him? Is he someone that could crack the NHL roster? I doubt it. Uh, I, I really don't think so. I, I think that, um, you know, the way, and I know there are some training camp battles to be had, uh, but there are some economics at play here as well. Uh, but uh, Svechnikov would have to have himself just an incredible training camp and if he's able to get into a couple of preseason games Christian I think he would have to absolutely wow the coaching staff and management to have a shot at the at the National Hockey League level that's just my opinion okay and so as far as the players in that pro mini camp that could end up being regulars in the NHL Christian Veselin and David Gustafson Billy Hanela going to be fighting for those spots? I I think Hanela and Gustafson are likely going to be uh, with next the Moose. Next man up. Yeah, yeah, next man up. And, and and again, it's a different type of scenario because of the flat cap, too, Christian. Uh, mm. uh, you know, there uh, there are some uh, established NHLers like Riley Nash, uh, certainly like Dominic Toninato. Uh, that are on those minimum NHL contracts. And unless there are some other people who perform quite a bit better uh, than those kind of guys, uh, just from the pure economic standpoint, and also the experience aspect as well. You know, Dominic Toninato, we didn't see a whole lot of them, but I think we saw enough of them to realize that this is a guy that can that can perform reliable fourth line duties for you. Uh, Riley Nash isn't going to ever give you a lot of offense, uh, but he's a shutdown defense guy. So you know uh, he could certainly uh, be part of that fourth line as well. And I really do believe uh, Christian that they want to uh, see the other Christian, this one whose name is spelled with a K. Uh, they I think they want to see Christian Veselainen. Uh, and give him every opportunity to show what he can do uh, on the right side uh, with Andrew Kopp and Adam Lowry. Uh, that would—that's at least what I would anticipate. Yeah, he seems—he would seem to be the the kind of internal front runner for that spot, right? Yeah, you know, and 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 the other thing too is, uh, as much as you're allowed to carry 23 players uh, into the regular season, 
I, I think that it's in all likelihood uh, the Jets could start with 22 and maybe even just 21. And, uh, and, and some nights, you know, there might not be 18 skaters dressed. They may be down to 17. Uh, again, a lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, the, the reality of the salary cap. And Nathan Bully is the seventh defenseman? I would suspect so, yeah. I would, uh, I would think that uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, there's a lot of things he can do. Number two, he's a veteran who understands uh, the role that goes along with being the seventh defenseman and uh, still maintains uh, being a good team guy. And, and three, it's not going to stunt his career if he goes long times in between playing games. You don't want that for Ville Hainala. He still hasn't had a full year of development at the American Hockey League level. And, and uh, you know, while there are many, many people, and, and I get it 100%, who are clamoring to see this guy play, uh, you can only have so many players that are small and skilled on your back line. And uh, I don't know that he's ready to unseat the likes of Josh Morrissey and Dylan DeBello and Neil Pionk and even Nate Schmidt for that matter, Christian, uh, you know, to, to get into regular playing time. Uh, so I would suspect that, uh, you know, Billy Hanela will be, he, he'd be a next man up for sure because he's shown with the few times we've seen him at the national hockey league level, uh, that he's not blinded by the lights. You know, he's certainly not afraid of the big stage. Uh, but, uh, I would suspect though, that if you're going to ask me to bet, uh, some money on, on where David Gustafson and Billy Hanola were going to start the season, I would say the Manitoba Moose. Fair enough. Well, we'll leave it at that, Kelly. Appreciate your time tonight. Look forward to talking to you a lot over the next, uh, well, seven months, eight months. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And again, if anybody uh, uh, just kind of caught a little bit of what we were talking about with respect to the pro mini camp and what's going to be happening out at Iceplex, uh, you can check out the story that is uh, on our webpage at uh, cjob.com at the Winnipeg Jets page. All right. Thanks, Kelly. Have a good night. Okay, Christian, you too. We're going to be talking a lot about the Elks and Bombers, not just this week, but like the next month. They play three times in Winnipeg's next four games. The Bombers have a bye week next week, but then they have two more against Edmonton in the near future. So let's talk about the matchup with Dave Campbell, our friend from 630 Ched in Edmonton, color analyst for their broadcast. Dave, are you ready for a healthy heaping of the Blue Bombers in the next month? My gosh. I mean, it's funny that you say that because I didn't realize it was three and four, to be honest with you. Uh, until about today, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is really going to probably determine greatly about the Elks' uh, season beyond this season series, because, yeah, that's, that's crazy. So, uh, yeah, it's huge. Hey, you know, I mean, the, the Elks, in my opinion, they, they dropped a golden opportunity in the Labor Day rematch game here Saturday against the uh, Calgary Stampeders, and now they put themselves into a very uh, – somewhat precarious spot here as we uh, get ready for the first of uh, three meetings against the Bombers. The first one is Saturday, 8.45 p.m., and then October 8th here at Winnipeg, back in Edmonton on the 15th. The Bombers play the Lions on October 1st and, again, have a bye week next week. But So let's go back to that double dip. Coming out of that long COVID break, You look, the Edmonton Elks look great in the Labor Day game against Calgary, and then they go home and lose. It just looked like the offense couldn't figure anything out last week is that fair to say yeah i think so and you know you got to give the stampeders a lot of credit because they 
made the adjustments that they needed to make. And really it was just to dial up, you know, the pressure. And I thought they brought the intensity level that they were missing on Labor Day. I thought the, the Elks were the better team by far from quarter one to quarter four. And, uh, you know, Jamie Elizondo, I thought, put some heat on his offensive line after the game, and I think he did that again today. But I think he also, not that he was pointing the finger, but he put some heat on Trevor Harris, and he said, out of those seven sacks that were given up, not all of them were on the O-line. Now, I can tell you, there was there was definitely, you know, probably, uh, you know, I don't know, I can't even remember, but there there was, there was uh, some some errors from the left tackle, uh, DeAndre Wesley. Uh, Sean Lemon had a really good day against him, and then they had trouble inside, uh, giving up uh, four sacks to uh, to an interior lineman. And uh, but but Jamie Elizondo said our quarterback has to play, you know, better. Like you can't be sacked on a run pass option. Uh, he's got to work quicker, and that's something I noticed too. Is this year when Trevor Harris has been forced to pass the football and to uh, scan the defense and basically play against heavy zone coverage. Boy, that's given him a lot of fit. So it was a different-looking offense for sure uh, from the Labor Day Classic to the Labor Day rematch. And it was uh, a a very stark contrast to what the Elks were able to do Monday to Saturday. So was Almondo Sewell right when he said that you hit him one time, he starts folding? I wouldn't go that far. Uh, but I do think I do think when it comes to getting hit, there are some quarterbacks that you know you know don't, don't get bothered by it uh, compared to others, and I think there are some that that do get bothered by getting hit uh, more than others. And I think Trevor Harris probably falls into the second category. And, and it's not that he doesn't come back and try and make plays and and execute. It's it's just you know I mean. I think Matt Nichols is in that category too. Where if you hit him early, it's going to be a tough. Uh, it's going to be a tough outing. You know where Michael Riley can take punishment all day long, and you know Bo Levi Mitchell I would put in there, and, and Fajardo and uh, Caleros and uh, those kind of players. But yeah, I, I think Harris is a type of quarterback where look, you have to give him what he needs, and what he needs is to get the ball out quick because that's what he's comfortable with. So to do that, you have to surround him with a good run game which uh, they did not use James Wilder enough, uh, only 10 touches, and they only had 12 touches to, to a running back with Wilder playing, you know, or carrying most of that load. And you need to put playmakers around Trevor Harris and, and work quickly. And that's who he is. It's, it's no different than, you know, what you see with Zach Caleros. You know, I mean, he likes to throw the ball down the field, so you got to give him the time to do it. And he's got a great offensive line to do that. So, um, I still think, you know, there's there's an identity issue with this team. They're still trying to find it, which is a little alarming considering we're playing game number six on the weekend against the Bombers. But they have proven they can do it as well. I mean, they played two good games, especially on Labor Day. But the game before that, they moved the ball exceptionally well against the BC Lions in, the, in a 21-16 win. But three of five games, they haven't played very well. So how much on defense will the addition of Derek Moncrief be? Uh, absolutely huge. You know, and it's interesting because at the start of the season, Brian Walker, an ex-bomber, was supposed to be the Sam linebacker. And I go back to 2019 when the uh, when Edmonton signed on Yanamba. Yanamba gets hurt in week one. So Walker takes over for the next 
six and a half games. I thought he was great. I thought he was a better sandbacker than 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 Unamba was. And then the the Elks re-sign him and they give him a three four year deal. And then he's the sand linebacker coming out of training camp. But then he has the COVID incident in week one. He tests positive. That kind of derails him. He misses the first two games and really hasn't been able to to play at that position. And then they have a newcomer named Darius Williams who has been uh, it's it's been somewhat uh, some plays are like wow he made good plays and the rest of the time it's a tire fire and I would say it's it's more the latter than it is the former. Derek Bogfrey is going to come in and give a speed element, a toughness element, and and a guy who just understands the Sam linebacker position probably better than anyone in the league and probably plays it better than anyone in the league. So he's I think he's going to play. I mean, he was repping at that spot with the first team defense. And I think he's going to be a, he's going to be in the lineup, and uh, I think it's a it's a great addition. And you know he's not a vocal guy. It's hard to bring in a, a new player at this point in the season, even if you're a good player, and expect him to kind of make a difference in the room. I don't think he's going to be that raw raw guy, but people are going to look at his play. Players are going to look at his play and go, "Wow, this this guy's got it." Now you mentioned the O line was called out by Jamie Elizondo. Could they be getting Sir Vincent Rogers back soon? You know, I, I looked out in the field and I went, wow, is that 55? And, yep, that was 55. Uh, we haven't seen uh, Sir Vincent Rogers on the field since uh, early in camp in July. He got hurt midway through the week. And uh, he hasn't played one single game for this franchise, Christian. I mean, he was signed in the offseason in 2019 under the former name. And then he uh, hurt his bicep. He tore it in training camp, I believe, two days before their first preseason game at home. And he was out for the whole season. And then he signed back before free agency. And that's when, you know, they had so much depth at their tackle spot. And then, you know, Derek Dennis and Tommy Drayheim and uh, Colin Kelly, you know, tears his pack during quarantine before training camp. And Sir Vincent Rogers, all of a sudden, is the number one left tackle while he gets hurt. They have had so many tackles uh, at le- on the left side. They have used uh, uh, DeAndre DeMary. They used uh, De- uh, DeAndre DeMary. They've used uh, DeAndre Wesley a couple games. Uh, those are those two are rookies. Kyle Saxon played there. Uh, played there once. Uh, he's a second round pick from 2019, and he's he's a good player. But Sir Vincent Rogers, we've been waiting for this moment where this this is going to happen, where he's going to play. So we'll see what happens tomorrow in day two and day three. But uh, to see him out there in the first team uh, offensive line of left tackle was a bit of a surprise, but it kind of tells you as well, like they need help at their tackle spot and he potentially could be their best tackle. And uh, we'll see, we'll see if we actually finally see Sir Vincent Rogers in green and gold on the field on, on in a game on uh, Saturday. With every passing week, how much worse is that loss to the Red Blacks looking? Oh, geez. I bring it up all the time now. Um, it didn't look so bad at 2-2 two and two against the against the San Peters, but, man, it looks bad when you lose in the rematch game and you're 3-2. and two. At least you would have been – or, sorry, 2-3. and three. You would have been 3-2, and two, right? So that's, that's just an inexcusable loss. As, as much as – uh, the Stan Peters and I called it an unacceptable performance from the from the offense. I mean, week one, that's inexcusable to lose that game. 
especially the way the defense played. They played, that was probably their best game of the season uh, in week one. And the offense, who, you know, wasn't terrible that day, but definitely wasn't efficient enough to get points. Uh, that's, that hurts because Ottawa's a mess right now. And, you know, if you're at the end of the season, you know, fighting for positioning and you could have had those two points, boy, yeah, I can't, I can't sit here and say that wasn't a significant loss, Christian. That was, that was huge. That was huge to blow those two points. Ottawa looks terrible. And yep. the fact that Edmonton and they've got, it's not just the Bombers that have the Elks the next three or four. Edmonton does have the Bombers the next three or four with a game in Ottawa on a Tuesday night sandwich in there. The, the reality of their schedule at the end of the season with those three games in a week on the yeah. 5th, 13th, and 16th of November, I mean, you got to have some kind of birth going into that because that's, that's hell. Yeah. It is. Yeah, absolutely. And after the game against Winnipeg on the, uh, on the 15th here, uh, they have a bye week and then they play Hamilton, right? And who knows what Hamilton's going to look like. So, yeah, yeah these, are, these are five games before that period that are critical to this football team. And they have to take two or three from the Bombers, you would think, which is going to be very hard to do. And you got to get that game in Ottawa. And the thing is, even if you win that game, you can't get the game you, you blew against them at home back. But at least it's something. But, yeah, like this is yeah. critical now. This is really not setting up to be a very good stretch for the Elks. And I, I would be very concerned, but you never know. Uh, you know, it's, this is a strange team to kind of figure out. Because In a strange season. Exactly, exactly. We all, I thought, you know, I didn't think this necessarily, but I was concerned. But, you know, there, there was people thinking this team was dead in the water at 0-2. Then they went too straight. Now they lost a game that they didn't look very good in offensively, especially against Calgary in the rematch. And now they're three or two and three. And now people are going, wow. You know, now they're going in to play the Bombers, three of the next four. No doubt the best team in, in, in the Canadian Football League right now. How are they going to fare? You know, and I think I don't think the season's over. I think they're they're in tough. There's no way that they're going to be favored in any of those games against the Bombers. No way at all. So they're going to have to put up or shut up and 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 shut up the noise around them because the noise around them is building. And there's people that are going, I don't get this. This is strange. You have the talent that you have on offense. Their defense, I think, has played, I think, pretty well. Their special teams outside of kicker Sean White's a mess. So. Let's hope for the best, I suppose. <laughs> I said uh, 5th, 13th, and 16th of November. It's really the 13th, 16th, 19th of November. That's when yeah. the real hell stretch is. Uh, I'll get you out of here on this, Dave. Why haven't the Elks won any games at home? They're 2-0 and on the road. They're 0-3 at home. How do you explain that? You know, I'm starting to think that there's uh, there's teams that just don't look as comfortable at home for whatever reason. The The, the pressure to perform at home. And um, they just, you know, they look like a different team on the road. I mean, the, the two wins on the road, they've had an edge and an attitude that they carried from the opening kickoff right to the end of the game. And they haven't had that at home. And, you know, it's interesting because uh, Blake Dermott, who um, has been on these airways for a few years with uh, with Bob Irving, when he, uh, when he came to Edmonton and, you know, uh, Blake would step in and do some color for him. Um you know, Blake is on the sidelines for us this year, and he's been on the sidelines for the for two of the first three games at home. And he's played, and he's won two great cups, and, you know, he's 
an intense guy when he played, and he didn't need any self motivate or uh, anyone to motivate him but himself. He looked on the bench, and he's like, "There's no energy. There's nothing. There, there's just there's just a, a real sense of you know they're just waiting for something not so good to happen, or looking to someone else to kind of carry carry the flag and carry the day." And uh, well, someone will do it for me, kind of attitude. Or on the road, you don't see that. It's 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 all forty six, just just chipping in and just you know doing doing what they do best, and and carrying an attitude in the match that the, that the opposition can't match. So so for some reason at home, and we we see this in sports where the home team just doesn't perform well in front of their own fans, and for some reason uh, they're a better road team than, than a home team, but. I'll tell you, 0-3 at Commonwealth, like that's just unheard of, right? And the last time they've been this bad was 2013 when they were 4-14. and That was the first year Mike Riley was in Edmonton. Oh, excuse me, Michael Riley. Um, but, yeah. It's, He's not it's listening. Strange. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Because if he was, he'd bust my job, so I know he would. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's strange. and They just don't seem to carry the, the same edge and intensity at home for some reason, and it's almost like... I don't know what it is, but maybe the home crowd kind of gives them the yips a little bit. But that's weird to me because this is a veteran football team. This is a veteran football team that should know how to handle that. And for some reason, they haven't handled it very well at home. Well, the Bombers for a number of years weren't good here. And really in the last year and a half is when they started figuring out how to win at IG Field or win anywhere. So uh, we look forward to the Bombers heading out west. And then you'll be coming here pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah, I love that barn. Like to me, it's the it's the best barn in the league to go to on the road. Um, take that, and, Mo yeah. Regina. Yeah, you know what? I I'll take I'll take IG Field. I like Mosaic. It's good, uh, but I, I have a yeah, I have a special fondness for for IG Field, and maybe it's because the team won the Grey Cup in the 2015. No, but it's always been a right. special place for me. So it's been uh, it, it's a fun park. It's it, I love the fans and. Yes, the loudest fans in the league are in Winnipeg. There you go. You heard it from Dave Campbell himself. Appreciate your time as always, Dave. Have a good night. Okay, buddy. Nice to hear from you. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m., of course. That is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell, until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you over the days. You may not share our intellect, which might explain your name.